0: Hey, this is Jeff Staple from Hype Radio, and I'm here to make an important announcement. As you know, Hypebeast Radio started off a year ago as just one single show. Today, that one show has successfully grown into an entire platform. And if you've noticed, we're now calling it Hype Radio. Hype Radio currently has three shows. One is my show, The Business of Hype. The other two shows are The HBR Show and Soundcheck. The HBR show, hosted by Hypebeast senior editor Robert Marshall, is the original Hypebeast radio show, hence the name, and it's where the industry's most innovative and inspiring creatives come on and talk directly to their fans, discussing their journey towards success, lessons learned along the way, and thoughts on the state of the culture, all in real time. The Soundcheck show, hosted by Hypebeast music editor Manny Madakalam, is our look at the entire music scene at large. Many brings you in-depth conversations with your favorite musicians and industry figures, digging into their origin stories and asking the tough questions that you want answered. Together, our three shows now form Hype Radio, and you can bet there will be more shows on the horizon. Now, this is where your part comes in. As you might have noticed, currently, by subscribing to Hype Beast Radio or Hype Radio, you're getting all three shows served up to you. Well, now we are going to separate them so that you can choose which shows you want to subscribe to. And I highly encourage you subscribe to all three. So this show that you're currently listening to, this will only serve out the business of hype. And if you want to keep hearing the HBR show and the soundcheck show, you'll need to, right now, subscribe to them individually. And you'll definitely want to do that right away because you never know who's going to drop into the studio. So, whether you're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, search HBR Show and Soundcheck and subscribe today. Okay, let's get back to this week's episode. From Hype Beast and Hype Radio, I am Jeff Staple, and this is The Business of Hype a show about creative entrepreneurs, brand builders, innovators, and the realities behind the dreams they've built.
1: My name is Errolson Hugh, and I am the principal designer and co-founder of Acronym. What is Acronym? Acronym is um, two things. It's a design agency, um, and it's been a design agency since 1995, I believe. Okay. And then uh, it's also a brand, which is probably the more known part of the company. And it's been a brand since our first product came out in 2002. So
0: my first pressing question is, do you shave your own hair or do you go to a
1: barber? week? <laughs> <laughs> What do you do? I shave my own head. So do I. Yeah, yeah, same thing. I'm I'm low maintenance. That's what, what it's all about. Yeah. What method do you use? Um, I used to use an electric razor, <laughs> but then I lost it. And then uh, <laughs> God and then forbid, I you buy called, another electric called razor. down to the hotel reception, <laughs> send me a razor, and then since you then, then I was like, oh, this works great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Once a week? Um, no, it's more like every three days, actually.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I do know. once a week. Yeah.
1: Good to know. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Bald headed Asians unite.
0: <laughs> It's always a bit odd to interview people that you've known for years, if not decades. Half the time, I already know the answers to the questions I'm asking. And the other half, I'm trying to stop from laughing hysterically because we're having such a good time. I wanna say I met Errolson back when bread and butter was holding fashion trade shows in Berlin. I mean, we didn't even have time to get into it in this interview, but Errolson used to co-own the infamous retail store, Firmament. If you were in Berlin, it was an absolute must visit. And it was there that he started to show me the early workings of ACRONYM. Now if you know the brand well, you'll know that it was honestly dope from day one. Even if you own a first-year jacket from ACRONYM, it's probably still the best piece of clothing in your closet today. I always had great respect for him and his brand. He's your favorite designer's favorite designer. But he was as cult and underground as you could get. It's really a bit of a double-edged sword that it took a sneaker or a cosign from a celebrity to really shed light on his genius. But regardless, I'm glad him and his brand are almost becoming household names now. The thing I most respect about him, though, is his resiliency. He just never wavered. If you look at each year's collection going back in time, you'll see that it's not really a collection at all. It's more of a software update. He's just constantly tweaking and adjusting minute details in order to chase that ever elusive goal of making the perfect piece of clothing, it takes a certain kind of brain to operate on a level like this, not to mention for years, but for decades. So today, we're gonna to try and find out just exactly what is inside that brain of Mr. Errolson Hugh. So, okay, so going back to 95, you said? I think it's 95, yeah. So back up a little bit prior to that, what were you doing before 95?
1: Um, before '95, I was um, painting fences, mowing lawns, teaching random German kids, p- trying to teach random German kids uh, English, uh-huh. terribly, uh, and uh, whatever I could do. Right? <laughs> I
0: cannot imagine you were mowing lawns and w- painting fences. I would do
1: anything. I, anything. I had. I had moved from Germany to. Uh, sorry, I'd moved from Canada to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, with seven hundred Canadian dollars, and which is like you know fifty United States <laughs> cents. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that bad. No, it's not but it's not a lot of money. Yeah. and um, didn't speak the language, so whatever you could do, whatever yeah. I could do, I would do.
0: What and What city in Canada?
1: I had moved from Toronto, and uh, in Toronto, I had met Michaela, who's the other co-founder, mm-hmm. and uh, she was from Munich. We were a couple at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, after university was over, we met at uh, Ryerson Polytechnical where we were both studying fashion. Okay. And uh, it was the middle of a recession so that you couldn't even get like a summer job. Mm-hmm. Like, it was hard to like, like the, my coveted job was like at the video store. Like, <laughs> and you were <laughs> like golden night with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, but when we graduated, even that stuff was hard to do. So uh, she was like, I'm going back to Europe. And mm-hmm. I was like, I've never been to Europe. <laughs> Yeah, and
0: took off. So, I was going to ask, like, for a Canadian to go to Germany without the language and without money, it has to be because of a woman.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's always the story, right? right? That's one of the two things. Either it's a girl or it's a job. Yeah. There's never another reason anyone moves, really. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, what was your fashion like in Ryerson? Um, and you you mean, like, like you personally, and also what you were designing. I mean, me personally was funny because uh, being a broke student, mm-hmm. it was just like how many days can I wear this before anyone notices? (laughs) (laughs) Limited closet. (laughs) Very limited closet. And uh, it was just a lot of, uh, it was into the pin roll. So it was a lot of pin rolled black pants. Okay. And uh, like really plain black leather shoes that I would just wore out until like they literally had holes. Uh And um, long sleeve, black crew neck (laughs) t-shirts. Okay. So you were pretty (laughs) like dark. It was pretty minimal. Yeah. It was super... Um, the black thing's been going on for a long time. Uh According to my dad, I've been wearing black, all black since I was, um, what did he say? Black diapers. Seven, seven or 10. I can't remember. Okay. And, uh, (laughs) so it's like, um... So before the Japanese designers did all black. Yeah, right. <laughs> before you, we're, before common Yoji. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, um, I'm kidding. <laughs> were sneakers part of the wardrobe? Um, sneakers were actually not a part of the wardrobe. I got my, the, like the first Nikes I remember buying were um, Air Moabs, actually. Okay. And um,
0: Interesting. ACG was like yes, one of the first sneakers actually, you bought.
1: True. Yeah. In this kind of tan and black colorway. Yeah, I remember those. Uh, got them at Foot Locker. And spent like literally all the money I had to uh-huh. buy them. And uh, But before that, I had, I had just worn um, whatever the simplest black leather shoes were. Okay. And I think actually because of the, the karate background that I have, mm-hmm. I was never into shoes. I always kind of hated shoes. Yeah. So I always felt like I can't feel the floor. I don't know like what my feet are doing. I just wanted to be barefoot all the time. Right. So right. any shoe that could get me kind of towards that direction was what I was into. And then, uh, and then the Moab came out and I tried that on the shop. I just really liked the design first of all, but then Mm -hmm. it had the neoprene like sock, cuff cuff upper. And which uh, was pretty revolutionary back then. And that's what I liked. It was like, okay, this thing is molded onto my foot. Uh It just felt like it's a part of me. Right. And, um, that was great. Yeah. But I remember a lot of people, this is also Toronto, you know, in Canada before the internet Mm -hmm. and, uh. I remember getting like weird questions like, why are you wearing those shoes? Like, what is, what's the deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm sure in New York it was a different thing, but. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, no, those are weird for everyone. Oh, okay. Those are okay. pretty <laughs> revolutionary. Talk a bit about um, your like upbringing and background.
1: Um, I guess the most significant thing about it is uh, two things actually is uh, one is, like I said, is the karate. Um, started karate when I was 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up in this little town called Edmonton in the middle of nowhere oh, in wow. Canada. And, Home of the uh, Oilers. The Edmonton Oilers. <laughs> there you go. Damn. And, that's the, uh,
0: literally the middle of Canada, right?
1: I mean, <laughs> yeah, slightly north and slightly west. But, <laughs> okay. but yes, like, um, there's nothing. There's not even, like, hills. It's like, it's just flat, yeah, and, yeah. you know, cold. Right. Like, um, the two brothers... Um, and I don't know how to pronounce their last name, the Haven brothers, uh. um, were also from Edmonton, and they described it in a tag on Instagram yesterday as Ice Planet Hoth.
0: You <laughs> mean the guys who own Haven? Yes, yeah, yeah. which
1: is completely accurate. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I grew up there and um, started doing karate when I was 10, mm-hmm. and uh, as I've said in other interviews, that was like the first encounter I had with clothing where I was like, okay, I can do stuff in this I can't do with my other clothes, Yeah. and kind of opened my eyes to like... Design of apparel, right, affecting your behavior, mm-hmm. and um, and then the second big influence at the time was obviously my parents, and they're both uh, in design. So my my father is an architect, recently retired, uh, and my mother is an interior designer. Okay, so and also being like from a, you know, um, I mean, we basically grew up in the studio. They couldn't yeah. always afford a babysitter, so we would they would just take us to the office, mm-hmm. and uh, we would just hang out and play with all the draftsman's equipment and ruin everybody's tables and right. <laughs> steal their yeah. erasers and like all, all of that stuff. Right. So, but we grew up, um, and then they moved their practice actually into our house. So, the half of the house in Edmonton was um, architectural studio mm-hmm. and the other half was, you know, a, a normal living arrangement. And, but we never spent any time at the house. We just spent all the time in the office because that's where all the cool stuff was. Right, right. So, <clears throat> That had a huge, uh, especially looking back now, it had a huge influence. on Yeah, it.
0: just being around. Yeah,
1: all the time. It yeah, just, you know, didn't think about it. Obviously, when you're a kid, you're just like, it's okay. the parent's job. Yes, yeah, parents. And, you know, and so you end up playing with like, oh, here's you know all these marble tile samples stacked up, and you you build something <laughs> out of it, and then you know, I'm gonna mess around with the blueprint machine for, you know, yeah, like, yeah, you know, and like photocopy everything, and you know, right. So abusive office equipment was a big thing. Yeah, you were of uh, what ethnicity? Um, I'm Chinese, Mm -hmm. um, but both of my parents are third generation Jamaican. So, (laughs) yes. So the only person in my family who speaks Chinese is actually my grandmother. So your uh, parents
0: were born in Jamaica?
1: Yep. Third generation. Wow. So, And um, I think aside from my brother, it's just my brother and myself, we don't have Jamaican accents, Uh but I think almost the entire rest of the family does that's crazy yeah i wish i did that would be way cool actually. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately no wow and how was edmonton
0: in terms of like ethnic diversity
1: zero <laughs> it was like um you know i mean it was like fights in the playground that was sort of what it was. <laughs> it Yeah. Was like, it was me and my brother and then maybe like one other asian kid one other black kid uh-huh and it was on <laughs> yeah, <laughs> was all that, the time. I don't, know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, <laughs> um, so karate was very useful. That yeah. was um, that, I mean, yeah. So after karate, it was, it was interesting because then I don't know what it is, but like after that, pretty much all the fighting pretty much stopped. Like once we, even though we weren't any good at it, it mm-hmm. just changed sort of the way I guess that we were perceived. Or, yeah. Like your reputation. I sort mean, of. <laughs> not, not even just, you just stood your ground, right? Yeah. You didn't, Run. And you're like, all right, I'm just going to try this. Yeah. And people can see that, I guess. I don't know. Right. So that, that,
0: uh, yeah. Do you think that growing up in that sort of environment of like being a hardcore minority affects even like what you do today and like the aesthetic and the look? Do you think it has any connections like I subliminally?
1: Think, I think if you would have asked me that 10 years, I would have said no. Mm-hmm. But now um, I would actually say, yes, 100% it does. And, uh, Obviously, when you're growing up in the environment and it, it is your environment, you can't see it because you're in the middle of it. Yep. But um, having been outside of that now and having traveled the world quite a bit and lived in different places for a little while, um, there's definite you know, perceptions and premises that I built my identity on that were rooted in those experiences for yeah, sure. And yeah. obviously, those are going to come out in, in your creative work.
0: Behind every creative individual is a subconscious library of influence that shapes who we are. It's easy to forget that our ideas are often just manifestations of our collective experiences. And if you think about it, our quote-unquote style is really just the outward expression of our habits. It's interesting to hear that his minimal style is the genesis for how clothing functions in relation to karate, protecting himself and also his limited resources. Errolson didn't let his geographic or ethnographic isolation limit and burden him. Everything is an obstacle if you let it become one. And just like this personal style was a reflection of his karate needs, his creative output would become a byproduct of him just trying to get through his surrounding environment. The lesson here, if you don't like what you're seeing, change the viewpoint. I've known you for a while and you're like, uh, you're a happy, positive person. Like
1: I mean, I try to be. Yeah, yeah
0: but I think <laughs> the, your you. reputation of your work is that it's dark and it's cold. Okay. And maybe even like ruthless, you know, like just sort of like, <laughs> yeah, you love that, don't you? Ruthless is <laughs> great, yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, so it's like, I wonder if like anything from the past sort of like incepted that feeling to happen of like this this darkness.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I've always felt like an outsider. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my mom also tells stories about like, been talking about leaving Canada since you know I was like seven or eight. You've, right,
0: you've been wanting to leave Canada. Yeah, yeah. According
1: to my mom, she's okay. like, "Yeah, you're like." And I'd be, you know, and still called downtown Edmonton and be like, "Yo, mom, when are you gonna go to the city? Like, I want to see the city. And uh-huh. it's just like, we're here, and like, this can't be it. <laughs> 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 you know? This cannot be it. <laughs> this can't, this, I, I don't believe you." <laughs> yeah, uh, right. So.
0: Yeah. It's like Truman's world. There's something beyond. The something
1: is wrong with this <laughs> entire situation. Yeah, yeah. And uh, never mind the cold and all that. But mm-hmm. yeah. So culturally, I always felt um, separated and apart. And I don't even really know if that's actually diminished now. I'm just kind of at some point you just you're just okay with it and you're like whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And because um, when you went to Germany,
0: I'm sure you were also like. that was the same thing. Same thing in, in a, a different total outcast, way. right. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. And. Um, Yeah, I remember, I mean, I joke about it, but it's the first year I was in in Munich. um, I didn't have any negative experiences. Everybody was super cool. Mm -hmm. But um, I think I saw five Asian people in the entire time and, you know, we would wave to each other. Like, yeah, I see you. What up? I see you. (laughs) you. (laughs) If you need help, here's my number. (laughs) And uh, yeah, and when you're going through that, you don't really think about it on a day-to-day level, but... You know, in hindsight now, when I think about it, I'm like, damn, that that definitely affected yeah who I am as a person and, and how I do what I do.
0: Right. So, let's talk a bit about um, your somewhat silent business partner, yeah. right, Michaela. Yes, Michaela. What, uh,
1: Michaela Sachenbacher.
0: Okay. Yeah, <laughs> you, you might. Have, you could have just said, "I don't want to say her last name." It's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice long one. It's a real German-looking <laughs> name. Yeah. So you met in college. Um, did the inkling of acronym even start in college?
1: Um, like no. When did it begin? No, not, not as a brand or as a thing. Um, what did happen right away is that uh, we met and realized that we had um, complementary or contrasting strengths and weaknesses. So Mm -hmm. whatever she was good at, I was bad at and -hmm. vice versa. And so we started doing each other's assignments. So I don't know if you know about like fashion design school. It's like, it's like med school. It's it's like, it's no sleep, Mm -hmm. you know, working all the time, never enough hours in the day. And it's just super hardcore, which I think most people don't really understand. But, um, so you're just, trying to survive the yeah you know, the process yep. and uh, so we specialized super quickly uh-huh. like, right, i'll draw this and you do that what was the what was the
0: pros and the cons of both of you
1: um she's extremely organized uh-huh. i mean we we used to joke it was like chaos and order okay like, i was definitely chaos uh-huh. and um you know she was always on time like and could calculate the time it would take to get from point a to point b like to like you know, a ten second window. Yeah. And I German I'd be like, engineering. Yeah, She's exactly like... yeah. And, and I'd be like, oh that was today. <laughs> <laughs> right. I thought, I thought that was like last week or t- <laughs> whatever. Yeah. yeah. So
0: Okay. Yeah. So when did the idea of acronym begin?
1: Uh much later. So we went through school, we left to Germany. Mm-hmm. Um and then there unfortunately the the job situation was the same. Yeah. Uh recession had just hit and uh I couldn't apply for jobs because I didn't speak the language. Michaela applied, to, you know everything, um, and eventually decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and study Japanese. You or her? Her, okay. Yeah. So then she um, then she went and studied Japanese and actually left and lived in Kyoto for a year, half a year, I don't know, ages, like <laughs> a long time, and left, left me you alone. And left me in in Munich. Um, and I was living in her, uh, her family's home uh-huh. uh, and they were super cool. <laughs> um, but that's how I learned German because yeah. her grandmother used to live in the floor below us and didn't speak any English at all. And would just talk to me all the time in German. And, um, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have learned German, mm-hmm. no chance. Cause everybody wants to try out their English on you in yeah. Germany. That's right. the thing. And, um, and then after she came back and then while she was away, I'd gotten a couple of freelance jobs doing, um, sportswear stuff like active sports sportswear so snowboarding mm-hmm. um, yeah not not really good jobs but it was like I was also just sort of amazed like wow someone's going to pay me to design something right? yeah. and you know I think I designed the first collection for this company in Germany for like 5,000 marks like which is I don't know, it was probably like $3,000. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is amazing for you back then, right? <laughs> I, was, I, was amaz- I was just couldn't believe it. I, was like, <laughs> I, kept, I kept waiting for them to like realize what they were doing and like kick me out. <laughs> but, yeah, but that was the beginning. And um, it was just, obviously you're just trying to survive and you're super hungry. So um, I remember they had two different brands that they were doing and I was designing one. And then I was like, I bet if I just really kind of showed up all the time and started designing the other one, they wouldn't really figure it out until it was too late. And mm-hmm. I was the designer for both of them. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Okay. And, then, um, and then at that time, Michaela came back and I was like, look, I've got these guys where I want them. <laughs> they don't know that I'm going to take over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then we founded the company, uh, but strictly as a design agency, which we then did for about well, five years. If you
0: listen to other Business of Hype episodes, you'll hear this recurring theme. When you see a window of opportunity, bum rush it. Don't ask for permission, don't hesitate, just go. I have a similar experience when I was banned from printing early staple t-shirts in my school silkscreen lab. So what did I do? I started breaking into it at night. Sure, it was sort of breaking and entering, but in my book, as long as you're not hurting anyone along the way, And you're doing what you think is right for either you or your brand then just do it yes you might very well get burned for it but if your intention is in the right place i can almost guarantee it is going to pay off in the long run which came first for you like was it you know you said you were designing sort of like snowboard active sportswear yep was it your expertise in that, or were you just like an open designer, and that was the client that just happened to call? So like you sort of got into that world.
1: Um, it was sort of half and half because of my upbringing. I guess as, as I said with the architecture uh, background from my parents, um, I'd always been interested in you know modernist design principles and the whole idea of form follows function and. Mm-hmm. Less is more. All that stuff was kind of like in my vocabulary mm-hmm. the whole time. So I was always interested in the performance aspects of things okay. and, and, and the functional aspects in addition to the aesthetics. So that's, yeah. that had always been around. And um, when I saw this one German label, um, their stuff in a, in a department store in, in Germany, the label was called Protective back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, they had some interesting details. They had like Kevlar elbow patches and stuff. And I was like, "Oh, this is cool." Yeah. And then um, one of Michaela's cousins um, somehow found out the number of the company and figured out that this company was actually in Munich. Uh-huh. And um, I just called them. I was like, "Yo." <laughs> you need help. And and uh, yeah, I don't and speak in, I don't speak German. I don't speak but German. The- <laughs> and and funny enough, I actually, I'm pretty sure, I just got the job because I spoke English. Oh. Okay. And um, and they were like trying to you know snowboarding at the time was like most innovative um sports disciplines was heavily influenced from america it was it it came from america so Mm -hmm. to them it was like oh this kid's closer to america than we are yeah yeah um i mean not at all right (laughs) but but uh, um so they hired me and uh you know to do i think we're doing mostly mostly graphics at the beginning, even just like tags and like stupid logos. Uh-huh. And um, um, thank God, though, because that was like the first chance we'd ever gotten to do any kind of uh, creative work for money. Yeah, and um, and really just by you know sheer willpower, um, sort of absorbed all of the stuff. But um, and then during that time, that's when we learned how to build. Um, outerwear mm-hmm. and how to build a layering system and all of that stuff yeah um
0: and getting paid to do it at the same time right yeah it yeah. was huge right
1: and um you know it was the beginning of the sort of the industry wave hadn't really kicked off at that point It was just sort of the beginning of it at least in europe yeah what year is this about? this is like 93 90 this is 94 94 i think okay yeah and then it it um we did snowboarding stuff for I think we ended up working with Burton Snowboards for 13 years in mm. the end of it, but uh, in the German market uh, with all the various companies, um, we worked many many years, all different types of brands, um, all different price points, yeah, and really got a super hardcore education in in outdoor design, mm-hmm. and um, also met the people from Gore Tex, okay, um, through these three like clients through, through protective, and oh, okay, uh, cool. also probably around 90 five mm-hmm. and um learned how to do that yeah and um we were the only ones i remember that meeting still because everybody was complaining about how what a pain the asset was to work with Tex and how we couldn't do this and couldn't do that mm-hmm. and can't can't have an exposed zipper can't you know yeah and we were the only ones who were like okay but why like, uh-huh. and we're, i was genuinely interested in like where did all these rules come from and what do yeah. they do and and um and that turned out to be in the long term, the thing that separated us from other designers. And mm-hmm. I think that's also because of the architecture background of my father uh, and mother. Um, because we saw that as an intrinsic part of it, rather than just something like to get around.
0: Yeah, like we an like, obstacle. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is
1: like, no, this is actually the heart of it. Right. And, um, and, <laughs> and Tex probably appreciated that yeah, as well. I mean, they're just so used to, you know, people trying to ignore what they tell them. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that, that worked to our advantage in the long run. yeah. Um, although it is, it is hard the first time you're confronted with those types of restraints as a designer. Right. It's, it's almost contrary to the type of education that fashion designers get, mm-hmm. um, which has also become an advantage for us because nobody else can do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, which is changing now, um, 20 years later. Yeah. It's
0: always amazing to me how simple moments like dealing with an annoying job or disagreements with a vendor When pieced together properly can either be crushing to people and in other people, it propels them to new heights. To me, the problems are always there. They come in various shapes and sizes and in varying degrees of difficulties. But the way people deal with these challenges is really what separates the kids from the grown-ups. Certain people seem to have an ability to push themselves outside of their comfort zone and change their life. Errolson got his master's and Ph.D. by working for any and every company that would call him. He didn't have to pay for this kind of education. He was being paid for it. And I bet the lessons came from the very first pitch meeting all the way to chasing invoices at the end. And if you ask me, this is the best school you can get yourself into. So back then in like the mid-90s, who were you inspired by from fashion at that point? Like I'm trying to give the listeners sort of like a a lay of the land and global fashion design. Like what were you into? What were you looking up to?
1: Um, so streetwear didn't really exist at that time. Mm-hmm. It was like, there was jeans wear, there was high fashion. Um, there was no internet. So it was all magazines. Yeah. And the other thing that happened uh, while I was in Canada, that had a huge influence was um, our school together with, um, so Ryerson together with uh, which is now called OCAD OCAD, mm-hmm. um, Ontario College of Art and Design, they did a joint trip to Japan, Hong Kong, and Bangkok. Okay. And um, I somehow managed to scrape enough money together to go on that Mm -hmm. trip. And um, after the trip, managed to stay with uh, a guy named Pak Kwan, who lived in Tokyo, who was an intern for my dad at his company back in the day. Mm -hmm. And... um, I was like, Pac, I don't know if you remember me when I was a little kid. I used to, you know, you know, take all the paper made and make graffiti all over your desk, you know. <laughs> um, and I'm coming to Japan mm-hmm. and can I stay at your place? And he was like, sure. And then he's like, how long? I'm like, six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, okay, to his to his credit. Um, and so I ended up staying in Japan with Michaela, both of us actually, for for six weeks. Wow. Which completely blew our minds. Yeah. Obviously. Um, that is 1991. Oh, really early. Yeah, 1991. Mm-hmm. And um, again, students, no money. And, you know, coming from Canada I've, and going to Tokyo at that time, I felt like I came from a third world country. I was like, what is going on? Like, yeah. how is this happening? Uh-huh. You know, and so you used to, you know, I bought a notebook and would just go around everywhere and like write lists of things I saw yeah, and like draw some stuff, you know, couldn't buy anything. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. conversely, it could just be like in a Japanese grocery store for an hour and a half <laughs> looking at packaging because yeah. it was just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that happened. Um, then we went back again in 1995 around and um, I didn't actually, I'm trying to think of the first time I actually saw like the Harajuku stuff. I think the first time Bathing Ape would have popped up on my radar. Oh, you know what it was? It was the um it was the kid who founded Royal Elastics. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy Tull Price. Yep. He had a Bathing Ape jacket on that he'd gotten in Tokyo that I so I was like, What's that? you know, and then um How did you know Tull Price? <clears throat> he I met him at uh where the fuck did I get? I met him at uh the Interjeans trade show in Cologne, okay. in Germany. <laughs> wow, this Fashion is so far. This show. is so far. And I was wearing um, orange and gray, what was it, the Terra Humara. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, yo, where did you get those shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and then we started talking. Yeah. Um, and then... He now uh, does the brand Fight, F-E-I-T. Yes, there's a little story with that as well. Okay. Because uh, we actually came up with the name and the design really? and the entire fight. Th- for fight yeah and we're never paid <laughs> and, um, and i always think i'm gonna run into Tull somewhere on the street and, and have a word have, with you have the about invoice that. in your back pocket ready to <laughs> yeah. serve something to that effect yeah exactly yeah um but yeah that's you know um and then we went back i can't remember if it was the trip, trip we did in 95 or shortly after that but um yeah going to the first you know Streetwear. Street, yes, seen? that thing happening and yeah. seeing like double tabs and neighborhood and, mm-hmm. um, you know, waiting in line to get into the babe store. Yeah. Um, when it was, you know, downstairs, you know, talking about the, yep. the spot. Um, and like them only letting in, you know, five people at once mm-hmm. and everybody, no one talking. and Yeah. You know, everybody quickly acquiring things and leaving. Right. And that whole experience of like, this is more like a museum or a club visit or... Yeah. Um, yeah, what do you think it was about that happened, yeah.
0: streetwear that, like, you sort of were enamored with?
1: Um, it also wasn't really called streetwear back then, I don't yeah. think. it, was no, just, it wasn't. Yeah,
0: um, but it also wasn't, like, what you were into, which is, like, form follows function and technical...
1: That's work. true. That's true. Um, I think I just got the references, you know, because uh-huh. it was, like... I remember standing in line to get into Bape, and there was the, the little LCD TV yeah, uh, yeah, above yeah. the... Kind of entranceway, and there were clips edited together from Tron and, like, you know, yeah, Planet of the Apes right. and whatever. And it's like, whoa, this is yeah, tough, warriors right? like, and yeah, stuff, all yeah. that stuff, right? Um, yeah, and the, and the other stuff that I was into was like, you know, eighties design, like, so Calm and Yoji in mm-hmm. particular, Yoji, yeah. And uh, so the first like designer thing I bought was a Yoji Yamamoto trench coat. Wow, and uh, that would have been ninety-five too, I think.
0: You're right. It's all about but, the references, right? They just their yeah, references, it's the references were all it's, it's, on it's point. A, it's
1: a generational thing, I think. Yeah, and
0: um, but also having the wherewithal to put them into a new creation, like and, it's like a remix of it, you and know? really well. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, really yeah. well. Like, right, not cheesy, not, not like merchy. Like, yeah,
1: incredible. Right, like the. Um, I mean, the interior of that, the Bape store back then already was.
0: Yeah, incredible right years quite, ahead of anything yeah, The else. way the
1: t-shirts were displayed, you know. Yeah. with the
0: Shopping bag, a little yeah, sticker on the, top all and the stuff. St- <laughs>
1: everything, right? Um, so they, those guys were... I don't think people realize that the world of streetwear as we understand it now, now? even the idea of a collaboration, that all started there. You mm-hmm. know? We talked about this a little bit at the... At High Fest. At, at High Fest. Yeah. But, I mean, it was done there for the first time.
0: Yeah, and, we were talking that like yeah. a collaboration wasn't two people calling each other and saying, let's do a collaboration.
1: No. Right, it wasn't
0: that. It, it was just, must
1: have been, or, I mean, I wasn't there, but it must have been just organic. I mean, yeah. all those guys, they knew each other from skateboarding and mm-hmm. they knew each other from... Yeah, DJing they were and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and they were in the same school or whatever. Right. And um, so it's, it was very, it must have been very organic. Yeah. But it was still like a trip, you know, the first time as an outsider to see two logos mm-hmm. on the same product. Yeah, you know, back then. But you, you just... You're like, what is going on? Right. It was
0: like... Wait, what was the other name for it? It wasn't collaboration. It was like... Double label. Double label. Double that was, label. Yeah. yeah. Literally is, two labels on one outfit.
1: Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. Double label. <laughs> yeah. like before collab. Right. Yeah,
0: that's true. Hiroshi was talking about at High Fest the story of how he, quote unquote, collaborated with Porter Bags. Yes. Because he wanted a DJ bag for his records. They didn't make one. Yeah. So he was like, can you make me a DJ bag? Yes. But, but that, it wasn't like, let's do a
1: collab. It was like... I mean, Hiroshi's also like, operates on a whole other level than everyone else with that as far (laughs) as I'm concerned, because that, you know, he says that it sounds so simple, but it turned into head border, which is a brand, right? It's it's (laughs) a distinct own, you know, shop division. Yeah. 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 Has its own, um, history of products now. So yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So you're, you've got a fairly, would you say the design studio with Michaela was like successful? Um, Yeah, I mean, we... Like the two of you made a living from this. Yeah. With no other form of income.
1: Yes. We could survive doing design. Mm -hmm. So in that respect, yes, it was successful. Is
0: survive the operative word here? Or was it like you guys were doing really well?
1: I wouldn't say we were doing really well for... I do remember one year when our accountant was like, okay, so you should buy a car. (laughs) They were like, what do you mean? It's like, well... Either you're going to give the money to the government, or uh-huh. you can buy, buy something, something big. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. And that was the first time. The whole time we've just been, you know, I was excited to just like have two cups of hot chocolate in the morning instead of one. Yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> you know? like, All right, that was balling. Kind of, you were balling. Like, I was
0: psyched. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I remember. I remember when uh, in, in State I got to a point where my account at the end of the year was like, "Do you need any like?" big equipment thing i was like why <laughs> yeah, exactly i was like he's like it's you know like a big color laser printer i was like why he's like because you should buy that i was like what really? do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really." <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice yeah. i okay. think when you're a, a young company and you're new to the business any business probably you're just so busy actually trying to do the thing you i mean for us it was just hard to like keep track of like it wasn't a strategic plan it was just like the hustle, the mm-hmm. grind—you're just yeah. like every day, like okay. do work,
0: bill get paid, do yeah. work, bill get paid, make the deadline,
1: <laughs> make the deadline, yeah, you know? yeah, hand in the stuff, right? And,
0: so, yeah. So, when did you and Michaela finally sit down? Do you remember the moment where you're like, "Let's do our own thing"?
1: That happened also quite organically because so we'd been working in in uh, let's just call it the active sportswear industry for a while, mm-hmm. and um, it had done everything like I said, like mountaineering stuff, mountain biking. Inline skating, whatever, snowboarding. Yeah. Uh, and had been exposed to all of these technologies and all of the ideas that go into layering and yeah. all of the you know, outerwear systems. And like, oh, well, why can't we have this every day? Mm-hmm. And proposed it to the people we were working with, you know, different companies that we were um, collaborating with on stuff at the time. And they all said no. Mm-hmm. And they were like, when you say
0: have it every day, you mean like a more like a street wear version using all this stuff? Is that what you mean by having it every day?
1: Yeah, not even streetwear, just like an everyday wearable, yeah. like, so you don't look like you came off the mountain. But right. You're still not going to get wet. Yeah. You know, that yeah, yeah, yeah. very simple functionality, utilitarian yeah. idea. Um, but why also an aesthetic an idea. It's also an aesthetic idea because you could just buy the North Face jacket and wear it. Yeah, and, which is what people were doing. Yeah. yeah. But, but it, why do you think they said no? Well, they were very clear about that. It's like, it's too difficult. It's too expensive. No one's going to care. Mm. right? So yeah. those were the three things we heard. From yeah. I think we proposed it probably to four people. Mm-hmm. And um, then kind of out of frustration at the end of the day, we were like, all right, well, let's just do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Which um, I also remember telling people the idea and then, that we were going to do it, and they're like, kind of looked at us like, okay. Right. Good and, luck with uh, that one. Buddy. Yeah, exactly. And they were right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, were, they were all right. <laughs> it was, like, it was, it was uh, unbelievably difficult. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Is it because but, of
0: the amount of effort and like investment that goes into making it? It's just makes it too expensive? Because Acronym is extremely expensive for everyday wear.
1: I wouldn't call it everyday wear. No, (laughs) it's not everyday wear. So, the thing that happened then is, um, so we're you have to imagine we're designing like, like at the peak of it Mm -hmm. in one season, we would I think the record was seven different snowboard collections for different companies for different companies. Damn, the same season. So, like there was this big catalog that would come out um, called Sportscheck, like was just like a mail order catalog in Uh Germany, and they had a snowboarding section. That was like, I don't know, it was like 15, 18 pages long. Yeah. I remember one year, um, seven of the pages were our designs. Wow. But from all different brands. Yeah. And nobody knew. Yeah, you're like the village whore. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, so. Sleeping around. We would just do, like I said, we would do whatever. Yeah. And we didn't sign any. Everybody wanted us to be exclusive. And Mm -hmm. we're like, fine. Buy us out of this other thing that we're doing, yeah. and then no, the discussion ended. So, <laughs> so we would design, We designed tons of stuff for other people, mm-hmm. and so um, different. You know, there were different ways companies went about that. Burton was interesting at the beginning because they had just seen us our stuff at uh, ISPO, one of the big trade shows, and I randomly bumped into them at some other booth and started talking. And it turned out to be Heidi Tappan, who was the uh, director of apparel, which I didn't know, mm-hmm. and then got a Got a message from her. Did I got a fax or an email? I can't remember. It's like a long time ago. <laughs> I was trying to date that. Yeah. But, but, uh, and then we would just do a bunch. Of, they would just pay us flat rate for a bunch of designs mm-hmm. that we would draw by hand and put into a binder and put into a FedEx box and just FedEx off to them. Yeah. And then. Uh, so this
0: was, uh, I think, would you call it a retained client?
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like They
0: paid you a set fee every month.
1: No, they just paid us one shot. Per Season like okay. one, yeah,
0: and, and you just submit a bunch of stuff, yeah.
1: We had like an outline, like whatever, 35 pieces of outdoor, yeah, like 20 pants, blah blah blah. And um, we would just design it completely in the dark, no contact with them at all. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you'd go to the trade show eight months later, a year later, uh-huh. and, and see what made it into the line, damn. And um, a few times in a row, we had done key things, mm-hmm. so. And they became bestsellers and then I would walk around and see stuff that we'd done in our basement you know, yeah. all over the world, yeah. which was crazy. Um, and then we were the first external design uh, team that they had worked with at the time. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we left, many, many years later, there was no internal designers and there were, I think, seven or eight different groups working on stuff for yeah. them. So it became like a whole you know, methodology that they
0: had. Yep. It was like collaboration, but without any of the parties meeting.
1: Yeah, kind right. of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. like we were doing. Staple Design was doing graphics. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So your stuff and my stuff. We're, we have collaborated on things. Yes. With, uh, without <laughs> <us> knowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And.
0: Uh, and when you were doing Burton, were you like sort of um, winding down some of the other like regional
1: clients eventually?
0: Because
1: um, you ended up doing like a lot of
0: stuff with Burton. I right? think
1: Burton ended up being the longest term collection mm-hmm. so well into the years when we were still doing akron when we had already started akron we were still doing Burton. yeah yeah and um you did some analog stuff right we did Ronin, everything we did analog AK. We did, you know the kids collection back hill we did like Ooh, we did everything that. Backhill, we, did, yeah. we did everything <laughs> <laughs> like um i think we did the first women's specific um ak jacket actually mm. yeah But we're like, you know what? It shouldn't be the same thing as the men's jacket. Let's do like a specific design for the girls. Mm -hmm. That we also did that. It was like so we did everything, like tons of stuff. Yeah. So do you remember the first acronym piece? Yeah. What was it? It's a jacket called the Twenty Three Seventy One, which uh, in its second iteration became called the J One A. Okay. And it's still the best-selling jacket that we make, actually. Wow. Funny enough, along with the so the first thing we did. In that came out in 2002, uh, was called kit one, Mm -hmm. and uh, again, because we had no money, we couldn't do a collection. We're like, okay, well, let's put all of the ideas for an entire collection into one thing. Mm -hmm. And it came the idea we came up with is this box set called kit one, yeah, and it was like a jacket
0: folding, yes, exactly. It was like a paper box type thing, right? Yeah, it was a a cardboard box with
1: like like a slider that came out like a book, yeah, and then you open the book. And there was uh, mounted onto it with elastics. There was a jacket and a bag and two CDs. One was music and one was a uh, computer software. <laughs> and then two, one, two manuals, basically. Uh huh. And um, that was the first that was acronym the c- product. That was the whole collection. That was the whole thing. That's all right. we, I mean, that took everything we had. Yeah. And, uh, and you o- almost it, did killed Did you do it in us. multiple colors? We had two colors. Black and white? Yeah. Night Ops and Snow Ops. Yeah. The colors yeah, yeah. We, we called it.
0: I remember seeing that at, Stash's store.
1: Yes. Wait, which store was in it? Recon. In, it was
0: Recon on Eldridge Street in the Lower
1: East Side. Or yes. Something. Yep. He had it in there, yep. like on display. I remember exactly. seeing it. Yeah. He bought it. Hectic bought it in yeah. Tokyo and Hideout in London. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you remember the price of it? It was. I just wrote a tweet about this yesterday. Twelve fifty euros wholesale. Yeah. So Ridiculous. It was already. For, I mean, for, and it was two thousand two, right? Yeah. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> right. It's probably five k <laughs> with inflation today. <laughs> yeah. It was. A ridiculous amount of money. How many
0: did you, how many kits did you make?
1: We made basically a hundred, I think 120 maybe. And um, I don't think we sold them all. I'm That's pretty amazing. Sure, yeah. I'm still, I'm pretty sure we still have probably <laughs> 40 of them at least. Really? Yep. They'll, but, s- they'll sell now. But they're not assembled. That was the oh, other okay. thing. So we went all out right on the design of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, out of frustration with all of our, our like, our freelance gigs were design. That's the other thing I realized with the freelancing is that the design, just no one cares. In most companies, no one cares about design. They just care about the sales uh-huh. and you have no power as a designer. Yeah. Right. So acronym was our response to that situation. And we're like, all right, design first. Mm-hmm. We're not even going to care about the, the sales mm-hmm. or like what it costs. Like that's just not even going to be part of the equation. Interesting. And, and it still isn't. Yeah. And,
0: um, so it's pure design without compromising yeah. of like market the, or sales.
1: Yeah. We didn't think of it. There's no end user in a mind. There's no like study, no business guys staying there going, oh, this is a good idea. Right. Yeah. We still don't have a sales manager mm-hmm. like to this day, Yeah, um, which I'm not sure is a good thing, but <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> and um, so as a reaction to that, we just decided to make what is the best possible thing we can make and imagine and let's do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Yeah. And it took. We we started the company in 1999 or founded the company in 1999, probably started working on stuff that year, the year before even, and took until 2002 to bring out the first thing.
0: Wow. So three years to make that first kit. Yep. Damn. Three years to make one style. That's over 1,100 days, people. Malcolm Gladwell talks about spending 10,000 hours on something in order to become an expert. How about 10,000 hours on one single jacket? Some people might think three years to make one thing is actually a failure. But if you're bright, you'll realize it's an essential component to Errolson's success. I also love the motivation behind acronym, the relentless pursuit of perfection without compromise. But don't forget, he still had all these design clients. He still had money coming in. He was strategic about how he would pursue his dream. Oftentimes, the reckless madman gets all the attention. The guy who says, I gave it all up for the dream. I admire that level of passion too. But life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And if you don't stop to consider how you'll survive in pursuing your dream, you give yourself very little chance of achieving it. Yeah, so- the, whole, the whole acronym line to me, and I've been... Sort of following it since its inception, since that kit, yeah. like it's not really based on released product drop collections. It's more like an experimental evolution of tweaking, right? Yeah, so, like, absolutely, yeah. Like, but you sort of have like, if you're a collector of it, you have like version 1.0, and then this is the slightly tweaked
1: version of it. Yes, right, yeah. And it's like the collections we we drop so-called seasons uh, because that's how the industry works, yeah. right? So you want to interface with the industry in some way, you have to. That's how the buying works. That's how... The scheduling um, of it works. Yeah, Yeah. Um, That's even how the supply side works because all of the fabric deliveries, everything, you don't have a choice. You're kind of locked into that uh, to some degree. So we do have these seasonal releases, but it's more like this is what we're working on and this is what's ready now Mm -hmm. when this season comes out. It's not like... Immediately. Yeah. yeah. It's not like, oh, we're going to plan the season. There's going to be six tops and three bottoms and blah, 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 and they are going to work together. It's more like... These are all the things we're working on now. Mm-hmm. This is the date and time, and here we go. Yeah, yeah. it's so, more like um, like baking, I guess. <laughs> like yeah. we're baking, and it's <laughs> yeah. out of the oven now. Ding. Here, yeah, yeah. ding yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except that you know that the ding is going to come, and you know, in January. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, do you ever feel like
0: you, looking back on it, are you happy with the way that you like sort of did this business, or do you feel like maybe you should have maybe done it like a more traditional way?
1: Well, I hope that there's a way that's easier. Yeah. But I know that there's no other way we could have done it because we tried every other way (laughs) and none of them worked. So is it because of what goes into it? uh, It's because of what goes into it and the combination of what goes into it and how hard it is to make Mm -hmm. and the resources that we had at hand, yeah, which were almost none. Right. So those two things together, (laughs) that's it. There's no other way to do it. Like if a kid, was
0: like, I want to start a brand like acronym. What would you tell him today? Think about it very
1: carefully. <laughs> 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 I, I would be like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, there's now, you know, with especially with like the last couple of years um, where a lot of our work has been, I guess, legitimized by the direction the industry has taken. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the style of, I mean, the kids call it tech wear, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's a thing. Right? Yeah. That you,
0: that you are a pioneer of.
1: Kind of, yeah. yeah. And inadvertently. Like mm-hmm. It was never our intent to... Um, I mean, I guess the thing... I guess uh, the problem I have with the word techware is that it's... Um, I just don't think it's a very good description of um, how um, we look at our work mm-hmm. anyway. So... Now, you can legitimately start a brand. So, I'm going to make a techware brand. Yeah. And people will know what you're. Because there's a about. category and yeah, there's exactly.
0: stores that have techware sections and exactly. stuff. And
1: yeah. then about the definition of what it actually is, I'm, there's, I'm sure there's plenty of definitions mm-hmm. that you can Google or watch a YouTube tutorial yeah. about. Um, but none of those things probably are how we think about what we do. Mm-hmm. So, and the way we do what we do is extremely specific mm-hmm. and it's difficult. Uh, and it's expensive and it's, you know, it's Memorious. also, it's not, yeah. And it's not, it's not something where like, like I said, there's no account manager going, oh, this is a great idea. You know, like it's, um, it's kind of insane actually. Yeah. So, so it's not like if you're going to start a brand like that, then I'm like, yeah, be careful, mm-hmm. right? Like what are you <laughs> getting into? But if you want to start like, you know, a cool line of tech wear bags and yeah, you know, like whatever, um, go for it. Yeah. You know? It's like, did uh,
0: direct-to-consumer sales help you at all? Because like, you started Acronym pre-internet yes. sales.
1: yeah. I think Acronym would have been a lot better had we started it, let's say, five to six years after the fact, mm-hmm. after right. we did. Um, but yeah, there was no e-commerce when we started. So the only chance you had was to wholesale yeah. to shops. And, and uh, the
0: few shops in the world that would understand and accept your crazy terms.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, they weren't, it didn't begin like that. So it began much more liberally Mm -hmm. where we're like okay please buy this stuff and we did (laughs) whoever please yeah we traveled around and like i i had a suitcase of samples and i'd show up and and do the demo and be like right and then they see the price and be like what yeah yeah that's (laughs) what i mean by
0: crazy terms you know and
1: also okay yeah yeah
0: it's not six months later it's like no just buy this right now (laughs) Uh,
1: no it was it was it was six months or a year later oh you had a Uh, pre-buy yeah it was was a a pre-sale pre-order, mm-hmm. uh, again, because we didn't have the money to finance the stock. Yeah. So, um, Oh yeah. yeah. So it was all like, you got the, you got sort of deposits
0: before you even went into
1: production. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it has been a, de- uh, so, yeah. So that's, that is, that that has been the same since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was the same thing where we're like, is this going to work? Cause who's going to actually believe us or who's going to do this? There's no, yeah. You know, um, yeah. <laughs> But luckily, you know, we had met a few people and um, through, particularly through the work we did with Burden, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we met Stash, Stash introduced us to Yopi. Um, Yopi's from Hectic. Yopi's from Hectic. And um, I don't remember who introduced us to Fraser. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, Yeah. all those guys. Um, You said Hideout, right? Yeah, Hideout. Wasn't Fraser... Fraser was a manager of Hideout. Yeah, yeah. This is before he was at Nike. Mm -hmm. And... um, And then Luca from Slam Jam and then Sarah from Colette. All those people sort of heard about it. a domino effect. Yeah, word of mouth. Yep. And um, I mean, it sounds kind of amazing now you think about it, but um, there really was no other way to do it. Yeah. Um, Because you couldn't set up an Instagram account or put it on Tumblr. Nothing was there. Yeah. So how about today? Is more of your
0: sales direct now or is it more still wholesale?
1: I would say now with our own online shop it's probably it's probably 50 50 now oh yeah yeah
0: and then how about the design studio business like consulting business versus the the brand like what's the ratio there now
1: um that is a good question actually
0: I'm glad you don't know the answer off the top of your head. Yeah, I
1: don't. I don't actually know. I'm I'm guessing it's also around
0: 50-50. Yeah. I picture Michaela right now, like, shaking her head. Like, no, it's not, (laughs) you idiot. (laughs) This is probably true. She's actually just trying to call me now. Tell
1: me that, probably. (laughs) So, yeah, it's about, you would guess it's about 50-50. Yeah, I guess it's about 50-50. Okay. There's, the design studio in Berlin is also evolved very organically. Mm Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah, I wanted to get into that now. Yeah, it's much more selective now. You don't work with every single sportswear snowboard brand in, in Europe anymore. Like no, you're super selective yeah. now. So, who are? What's the client base look like for the design studio?
1: Uh, it's very small. We have we we much prefer to have um, long term deep partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like with Stone Island Shadow Project, is we just had the ten year collect ten year event in los angeles last week yeah so it's 20 collections yeah 21 collections
0: with stone that's sick yeah
1: it's amazing Mm -hmm. and um yeah nike too i think we're up to five years probably by now Mm -hmm. um so after we um probably around the same season our accountant said you should buy a car Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um right around time around that time i would have burnt out and just been like you know what i actually hate this (laughs) I, I hate dealing with all of these, yeah. you know, all these different collections right. and, and companies and random requests from sales managers who are going to try and tell you that this is a good idea for a yeah. sweatshirt right. or whatever. And right? like seven different companies. Like, yeah. yeah. And um, and at that point I was like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had been also turned down for, uh, turned down, acronym as a, as a project had been turned down by all of these different people as well at the yeah. time. So there was a kind of a real big air of frustration at the moment. Right. So, but, and then from one season to the next basically we halved our income mm-hmm. and because you kicked out, f- fired you know, clients. Essentially. Yeah, exactly. We fired mm-hmm. a bunch of clients and started concentrating on acronym, took time away and like, all right, we're not going to get paid for this time. We're just going to, think about what we really want to do and what do we actually stand behind and believe in
0: that's a really tough decision though to like it wasn't get rid of money no yeah
1: it wasn't because it was just like i hate this (laughs) Uh. (laughs) i just don't care yeah (laughs) i'm not i'm not i'm not into it and um and since then Mm -hmm. we've said no all the time yeah like so i don't know what it is probably 30 40 to 1 like Projects that we say no to versus projects that we yes, say yes to. Right, And now it's even also more just because of time because we just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. So even if there's stuff that we really want to do, like we don't do very many collaborations mm-hmm. just because we just can't fit it into our schedule. Yeah, And uh, people are like, they love what we do and that's fantastic. But it's very rare that somebody understands the amount of, commitment it takes to do what we do. Mm-hmm. So it's like, can you do this for us? I'm like, yes, I can, but fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> because it's it's not gonna be a smooth ride. Like it's it's difficult. It's time consuming. It's there's no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And um so yeah, we don't actually do we do much less work, much and with uh much fewer uh partners, but then yeah. much
0: deeper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a bit like um, asking an artist to commission a painting where like, like yeah. there's no shortcuts. Yeah, like you, I just, you just need me to paint this. It's going to take two years for me to finish this. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. So right now it's stone, it's Nike and it's acronym.
1: Stone, Nike and acronym. And then we also have um, a sort of ongoing dialogue with uh, RoboRace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which uh, the first, second project came out with them um, just now at Hyde Yeah.
0: Which is automated driving.
1: Yeah, which is um, <laughs> yeah, it's, which is a robotic uh, racing platform. Mm-hmm. It's a technology platform. And that's interesting because there's no specific brief. Most of the work we do is very much like, here's a problem to solve, solve it with us. And this one is more, um, we really think it's interesting what, what you're doing. Um, I think it's interesting what they're doing. Let's just hang out a lot and try things.
0: Are you making apparel for them? Is it clothing
1: based? Uh, we just did a little, you know, merch-based collection mm-hmm. um, now for Hype Fest, and uh, it's much. It's not that direct. No, it's much more like, um, it's super organic. I guess because um, the owner of the company is uh, was a fan of our design work, and then he knew one of my old uh, childhood friends, Rod Chong, who's now become the deputy CEO of Roborace. Mm-hmm. And so because of that connection, um, there's no uh, like trust barriers. It's just more like, oh, let's hang out and do cool things. Yeah, yeah. And um, so for example, when Hypebeast approached us and asked us like, would you like to take part in Hypefest? I was like, there's no way. We're just too small. We don't have the, the bandwidth. Mm-hmm. We don't have like, we don't have a team we can put on that. Right? Yeah. So there's no, I was like, <laughs> sorry, can't do it. Um, but then a week later, I was like talking to Rod and I was like, you know what? Maybe this is good for you guys, Mm -hmm. and then and a way for you to be part of it exactly. Yeah, and so they ended up handling all of the traffic control, and Mm -hmm. um, and we contributed, you know, the aesthetics and the visuals and whatever we could. Yeah, and that worked out great. So, um, so it's it's like that. It's not even like here's the season or here's the project and here's the deadline. It's Mm -hmm. more like
0: yeah, ongoing ongoing partnership.
1: Yeah. Do you ever think back to
0: that day where you sort of like got rid of? most or all of your clients and think about a time where, like, what if I just kept going with that? Like, what if I, like today, what if acronym was like 23 clients and like yeah, it was a global decision. offices?
1: Yeah, it was a decision because we could have become an agency. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we were an agency. We could have become a full-blown agency, much more mm-hmm. in the way that like an ad agency works. Yeah. We have like accounts and account managers and teams dedicated to yeah. them. And that was definitely within the realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just didn't want to be a manager. Yeah. We wanted a, to keep actually a, making the stuff. wanted to be a designer. Yeah. And, um, and realized very early on that as long as we were a service provider, mm-hmm. we would not get to have control. Yeah, No one's going to give it to you. Right. Right. And that's just how it is. Let's
0: take a moment here and reflect on the outcome of where things stand for acronym and Errolson at this present moment. This is truly an extraordinary set of circumstances and very few creatives achieve this level of success. He's being selective about clients. He's eliminating the projects that aren't exciting to him. And he's working with world-class global brands and presumably making a comfortable living, even though I paid for lunch. He has the freedom of saying no to 99% of the opportunities that come his way. It's remarkable. And while he makes it sound so frictionless, The fact that cannot be ignored is the amount of time it has taken. You need to realize this occurred over the span of a career starting in the early 90s. Errolson is now on top. It doesn't get much better than the notoriety and reputation of acronym. But don't fool yourself for one second. This story was built during times when communication itself was a task. I mean, most of the work was done before smartphones, before designs were emailed, and before social media. He mentioned faxing documents earlier. This was a whole different world back then. So props to Errolson for staying the course and building his dream one waterproof brick at a time. Working with Stone Island and Nike as two of your main brands is probably to most people listening to this, like they cut off a limb to be able to work with those two particular brands. Especially like, you know, I think when you started with Stone 10 years ago, it wasn't what it was today. Like stone from a cultural level blew up in like the last couple of years where it's become like full on just a staple fashion piece. Right. Yep. So now you're working with these two brands and you collaborate with them, you know, on an ongoing basis. Talk about how these two brands who are both at the top of their game respectively, but so different, like in terms of their roots and DNA, how do you sort of like switch back and forth in those brains between working with those tours that are they the same in, in many ways or are they very, very different?
1: Um, there, I mean, okay. So the way we approach client work is, um, one of the analogies that we use is, is the client is the director mm. and we're the actor. Okay. But the narrative is the narrative that dictates everything. Mm. So what is the brand trying to say and what do we need to achieve comes first? Mm-hmm. So, but as the actor in the picture, we're going to use all of our abilities and talents to manifest the director's vision. Mm-hmm. So that um, so doesn't mean, obviously we have a style because we're people and yeah. you're going to have a style, but <laughs> um, I mean, it's easier if you look at the technical aspect. So if I'm doing a layering system for Stone Island, um, I'm not just going to use the layering system from acronym. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try and make a new one that's specific to Stone Island that highlights the advantages Stone Island has yeah. versus the advantages acronym has. Mm-hmm. Same thing when I do, um, you know, that's, that's also with the hood or like any of the technical details on ACG, yeah. we will develop specifically for ACG mm-hmm. in an attempt to express what ACG is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. because of that process and also because each company is different and they do have inherent, um, advantages and disadvantages or capabilities, mm-hmm. um, it becomes quite natural actually. Once you get over the idea of like a designer is just about a style. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you follow that process, you will end up with very different products.
0: What's the biggest difference in the, you know, using your film analogy, like between the director of Nike and Stone?
1: I mean, they're completely different operations. So it's, you can't really, it's like comparing, you know, Kubrick to Ridley Scott. It's a, They're going to take the same script and make two totally different movies. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, the things we do for Stone Island you can't do anywhere else. We can't take those ideas and execute them in an Acronym because we don't have the structure. Uh-huh. We don't have the the, the know how. Right. The people mm-hmm. and the things we do for Nike, mm-hmm. we can't do them at Stone Island either. Or any you couldn't do them anywhere else. Yeah. You can only do them at Nike. Right, right. Right. And that's for us at least. When we you know when we think we've done the right thing, mm-hmm. is when we end up with those unique uh, propositions. Yeah. yeah. Right. When you
0: did the uh, let's let's recount some of the amazing footwear projects that you did with Nike. So there was the, the first one was the lunar air force one, right? Yep. Lunar with, force one yep. with the sort of dipped back. Yep. Yep. So talk through how that happens.
1: Um, you, you have an acronym, was, right? Yeah. And
0: then like, they're like, do you want to do an air force one?
1: Is that it? Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get it, get, get an email in your inbox <laughs> and, then, and you just send a design sheet. You just send a spec sheet and a, a technical drawing. Uh, no, um, that is all people, mm-hmm. all businesses, people. Yeah. So it's, um, we had known Fraser from before he went to Nike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met Mark Parker at the worldwide Bearbrick brick tour dinner, mm-hmm. um, must've been 2003 or four and, um, had met Fraser before he went to Nike. And then I think it was during his first year there too. He also brought us over to campus mm-hmm. and we did like a whole day tour and met a ton of people. Um, somebody funny enough had actually bought one of the kits and had it at the company. So uh-huh. we were on their radar already. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then it took basically 10 years to actually start working <laughs> together. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. When people ask yeah. how do collapse happen, yeah, you're like just 10 years. Yeah, just wait. Just, <laughs> it's all organic. <laughs> it's just not very fast. Right. So it's not like today where, you know, I it's just everything's faster these days, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it's all established kind of patterns, and um, mm-hmm. it just wasn't like that before. Yeah, there so, was no blueprint for it. Yeah, before. there was no blueprint. And, yeah, um, and then Fraser and I had tried a few different approaches of things we could do together, mm-hmm. and a lot of them fell through for various reasons. It's um, Nike is obviously a a rather large organization, yeah. so with lots uh, of lots of right? lots of moving parts. Yeah, and. Um, and the Lunar Force one thing came up, and it just seemed like from Nike's side they were like, "Oh, this could fit," mm-hmm. and from our side we were like, "Yeah, let's let's give it a shot." Mm-hmm. So, um, went into it very uh, not with a lot of expectations, just like very you know organically and exploratory yeah. from both sides. It wasn't like, "Oh, we're going to sell you know hundreds of thousand pairs of shoes with this." It was just like, "Oh, let's just see what happens." Mm-hmm. So, um, and the Lunar Force was actually I think the second shoe that was designed. Um, it was a we decided to do both the lunar force and the downtown at the same time mm-hmm. and from the design process, they both started at the same time, but I think we hit the design of the downtown first
0: you mean the one with the zipper on the top
1: uh no that's the lunar force i mean the one with the uh, like the boot cuff like the uh, with this with the soft shell cuff the the high okay it okay. came out after the presto actually okay. okay. Yeah. So design was I think that was actually the first one, mm-hmm. and um, but the lunar force was sort of, I guess the clearest illustration of the design intent that we had, yeah, um, which was just to treat the shoe as a blank canvas and to interrupt it with these sort of foreign elements, mm-hmm. um, rather than trying to make a harmonious design. We sort of did this deconstructivist thing, yeah, um, which was a first i think for nike footwear mm-hmm. and um caused a lot of debate actually yeah because that's a <laughs> it was a pretty violent it's a um, it's a holy yeah. grail
0: of a shoe that you like sliced into
1: yeah and literally sliced into it like got the samples and pulled out the scissors and like actually did it but at that point we you know we discussed it a lot and we were like all right well we don't have a personal story that we can relate to and because no one in the studio had actually even worn them as, mm-hmm. you know, as a sneaker. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't have like a, a cultural connection to it right. that we could fall back on and, and legitimize like, oh, this is what we did because back in the day, No, there was no none in, of that, Yeah, no back in the day. Um, and then we thought, well, it's such an iconic thing. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone throws their word around, but this really is. Yeah. Um, and we're like, well, if we're going to go for it, we have to be super confident about what we're doing and just go for it mm-hmm. so we did yeah and um and make something that now you will you will wear you and your team will wear yeah exactly yeah and i think and it i think it did a job because it took that sneaker to a different place mm-hmm. and um i think already within the company um when the first prototypes started to come back so years before the shoe actually came out um you know the shoe the the resonance of that shoe though both of those shoes had within nike um could be felt and uh, I was constantly getting calls and meeting people um, at Nike who were like, whoa, we saw your shoes and holy cow. Right. Um, So there was definitely ripples from that. And and I think also in footwear design, I think it just showed them a different way of looking at the sort of pool of history that they have and Mm -hmm. another way to interpret it, not to be so... um, I mean, we are super respectful of it. That's the thing, so... But not to be so careful with mm-hmm. it, I guess. Yeah. Right.
0: So, so you you mentioned this before about like the polarization opinion of it, right? Yeah. I think actually your brand, out of most, is like it, you have fans that are sort of like so diehard that they're buying like doubles and triples of stuff to stock. Yes. And yep. then there's fa- and then there's the other side, which is the people who just hate everything that you do and all the videos and all the demonstration and they just think it's like complete lunacy right yep
1: that's a good way to describe <laughs> there's it there's like
0: there's kind of no there's,
1: there's no middle ground there's no middle ground yeah no, yeah
0: no but is that what you're going
1: for like um no <laughs> it's, not, it's not like part of the plan or anything no. it's um that's that's an interesting interesting result um but it's fine it's it's good it's like um in between so we we don't uh, We did the design agency, we started Acronym, um, we had some great opportunities and really amazing early adopters in the form of, like I said, Hideout, Colette, whatever. Yeah. Um, And then we had like this sort of like six year long slog where like nothing happened, Mm -hmm. right? So our early supporters were still supporting. But the stuff was just hanging there, like nobody cared. Uh-huh. You know? And uh, and we just kind of insisted and just kept going. Yeah. And, and there were so many years where we were like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Like for this amount of effort, for this amount of units, like mm-hmm. this is, it's insane. Right? Yeah. But we're just stubborn, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. And, and we just, Or insane. This, yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> and just decided, you know, like, well, we like it, so we're going to do it. Yeah. And it's not, um, it's never lost money, um, but it definitely wasn't making, there was no financial reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, by any definition.
0: Yeah. So, um, but you could argue that like the kit that you did, which winded up being at like Beaverton headquarters, yeah, might have been the reason why you got like all these collaborative projects too.
1: Sure. And just being, I mean, yeah, and then being stubborn for all that time and not giving up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people just start to believe you after a while. Right? Right. If you insist hard enough, mm-hmm. this is the truth, then it's the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like it's a, it becomes a valid position. And, yeah. um, and I think time also just proved, you know, I always say that you don't really understand what acronym is until you've worn it for like three, four months. Mm-hmm. Then you kind of get it. Or years even. Or years yeah. even. Yeah. And, um, and you can, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we get people standing in jackets and like with, you know, letters of like help me i need to i have to have the, i can't live without this jacket i wear it every day for like the last seven years yeah but now it's finally died because i crashed my bike and whatever Uh uh-huh. please 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 fix it yeah <laughs> and um that's great so right. and we do we try to so to have opinion of any sort like people hating it or people loving it or you know both as the case is now yeah um it's great because it's like um like we were discussing at lunch you know it's like Hate is not the opposite of love, right? And the opposite of love, in my opinion, is indifference, right? And if you go through a period of <laughs> indifference, then um, that's the know, worst thing. Yeah, it's kind of like that's. Then it really is. That's discouraging. You know? That's really <laughs> discouraging. Yeah. But, but people, for people to take the time and energy to actually hate on something, mm-hmm. is um, there's some emotional. Yeah, there's some emotion that means they connected it to it. You know, right. in a in a in a real, undeniable way. Yeah, and. Um, As much as it's uncomfortable to listen to sometimes, we still try to take up that information, right? Mm Because there are things to learn there. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. Hate
0: is not the opposite of love. It's indifference. Powerful, powerful words from Errolson. There are endless ways to approach the work and our quest for creativity. And I've met, befriended, and interviewed countless of creatives over the years. And one of my favorite mentalities is this. I'm going to make what I believe in knowing well that it might inspire a visceral love or hate with little room for indifference. That level of audacity is what's needed to make really great art. It also takes a thick skin. Errolsen calls it being stubborn, but it's honest and it's authentic. And it's also courageous. I think the reason that these amazing artists make great everlasting work is because from the beginning, it was rooted in a firm commitment to an idea. This very often results in something timeless. Not necessarily quote unquote good or bad, because that's all subjective, but unforgettable. That is something you cannot deny. You were talking about John Mayer at lunch, who's one of the biggest
1: yeah, he was uh, early collectors. He's early, a collector. Yeah, he's a collector of, <laughs> of many things. Um, and he was definitely one of the early adapter, adopters. Yeah. Early adopters of acronym and has a huge collection of like old stuff that people won't even believe. Like, yeah. Um, and he was one of the first guys, like you said, who's buying two or three of something. And I, and I asked him, like, why are you doing this? Yeah, why <laughs> is he doing it? And he's like... He, does if-? he want to make an acronym museum? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably, I, I don't think so. I think he's just... He's just um, what did he say? He said, he's like, oh, what if I lose one? What if you sell the company? What if you go bankrupt? Right. There'll be no more. Right. So he's like, I just want to be safe. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 uh, and he really, he really understood it from day one and he, he got it.
0: Okay. So (laughs) your recent, your recent, um, Presto Vapor Max release, right? Yep. You called on him, I guess, to do the promotion for it. Yeah. And the marketing. Yeah. How did that conversation
1: go? Um, I actually didn't make the call. Um, Fraser made the call. Uh Uh-huh. And, um. It was Fraser's idea. To use John in the marketing? I actually don't know whose idea it was. It all happened so fast and so spontaneously. Yeah. Um, basically, I had gone to Japan, uh, went to Naoshima, got terrible sunburn, went back to Tokyo, was at my girlfriend's place, and like, I can't go inside, I need a hat. And she's like, I only have this cowboy hat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna wear it. Okay. Um, started wearing it around. I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody at Nike had seen it. And was like, what the hell? Uh, Hatch this plan for this, what became, which the deck for the, the proposal basically looks like the campaign one-to-one. Uh-huh. Um, incredibly well executed. Yeah. Um, but around the same time, John uh, had reached out to Nike and was like, yeah, well, let's, we should maybe do something together this year. Separately, not... Separately. Okay. And Fraser was like, you know, I think I might have something. Mm. <laughs> and, then, and then they sent him the deck and then... With like within three weeks I'm pretty sure maybe four not longer though it went from the deck to the finished video wow so it was like lightning fast
0: you went to LA for it or what? Like, went
1: to LA to shoot it shot with our Carlos Sorau and his team and uh, Danny Demers was art director and they just pulled off this incredible thing and it was the smoothest shoot I've ever been on yeah and everything worked right except for the tumbleweeds that wouldn't tumble <laughs> That was the only the tumble, only damn hiccup. It, yeah, it. was the only hiccup in the entire production. But
0: the whole I guess thing it was that in one that John day.
1: understood the whole vibe. Too. John understood the vibe better than we did. <laughs> like he showed up I was talking to him, on, you know, I was texting him in the week before and he's like I already know his hat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "All right, you don't have to show it to me. I trust you." And, you know, and he came he had his own rack of clothes and he had, you know, he he was his own stylist, right? And wow! Pulled out all of the stuff. So committed and um, was so professional mm-hmm. and so on point. You know, he had the right guitar, the right hat, the yeah. right everything. Right. And then we had a great stylist Meg Kuna um, on the shoot as well, who brought amazing um, stuff uh, to work with. Plus all the Akram stuff that we brought, and then it just all came together. It yeah. was it was amazing. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then it really hit everyone was when you know, Carlos uh, started doing the portraits of John and I together and separately. Um, like, wow, this is really going to work. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, fantastic to be a part of something like that.
0: Yeah. What do you see for the future of you, the agency, and the brand?
1: That's really simple and has always been simple. People always ask, what are your goals? And it's always like, we just want to do it again next season. Mm-hmm. And that's all we really focus on because... I mean, making acronym is also not like making other stuff because it's, it's legitimately hard to make yeah. and there are challenges the entire way. And obviously we keep getting more ambitious in what we're trying to do mm-hmm. uh, and our factory gets better and better at making things, but we're always on the edge. Like, yeah. it, can we actually produce this? Mm-hmm. Can it, will it work? Um, and when you're doing that, that takes up so much of our time that that's really the only goal that we can have realistically. It's like... Keep going. Yeah, like, <laughs> we, ride, we ride that edge all of the time. Yeah. And um, that's also why it keeps evolving. Because mm-hmm. It keeps That's why it's interesting, I think, and why people respond to it or continue to. Yeah. Um, because there's no, there's no way you can articulate it into like a, a tight sentence or like a slogan and like this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's really hard to understand because it's so deep. The process is so um, complex I think even in the studio, we don't really necessarily understand it all the time either. We know what we're trying to do at any given instant, but -hmm. like how it's all going to add up. Yeah, It's so fractal, the amount of information and and stuff that's going on, that it's hard to um, have a bigger overarching view and be like, oh, this is all according to plan. It's not. What if if a larger organization with
0: infrastructure came and said, okay, we're going to put into acronym the infrastructure needed to do whatever it is that you want to do, but in a more commercialized view. Is that
1: of interest to you? Yeah, sure. Um, but it's also not that easy. We've had so many offers for investment mm-hmm. and I'm like, it doesn't, it's not just the money, right? It's like, so like it's really hard to expand our factory in Czech Republic because um, that's the other thing. Acron is made by our own factory. No one else makes it. Mm-hmm. And when we expand or grow, it means, okay, we have to hire more people and buy more machines and get more space. Yeah, It's not just like, oh, we'll just fill a bigger number in the Excel table <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's good. Right. You know? um, and other people are always like, oh, why don't you just make more? You know? Why don't you just scale up or mm-hmm. why don't you work with whoever to do it? And um, it's not that easy because it is actually hard to make. Yeah. And um, the processes we use, they're extremely painstaking and, most people don't want to do that that's why we have our own factory because every factory was like, hell no like, right I don't want to do, why would I do that? Why yeah. would I make that <laughs> so, yeah and um I think you know
0: in the back of your head that if it got to the point where someone wanted to scale it, these questions would be asked of like, well, how do we cut corners, make this cheaper, do sure, this like, exactly yeah yep. and you don't want to enter that discussion
1: that's just not what it's about mm-hmm. and um although I do feel like there's things that could be applicable and useful to everybody on a day-to-day level at a more accessible price. Um, we're just not that kind of company. We're not at that scale. We'd have to be so big to get those economies of scale to work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just fundamentally a different enterprise. Yeah. And maybe one day, but mm-hmm. it's not like you can't do that in a year or two years. It's like, that's a long-term R&D project. Yeah. Right? Um, not that it won't happen, but people underestimate the difficulty of, of making, unless you're in the industry and you've tried to make something like that, mm-hmm. you don't really appreciate it. And you know, what can I say? Like, it's not like, I know we're on tons of mood boards and have been oh, yeah. for years yeah. in every company. And mm-hmm. honestly, like if other people could do it, they would. That's <laughs> there's true. No, there's no, yeah, that's true. Like, I don't know. It's not a secret. It's not a secret. Yeah. There's no, it's not like, it's just hard. Yeah. And, um,
0: <laughs> is it when like investors look under the hood of your company they're like you're
1: crazy pretty much yeah <laughs> I've, it has it's been a while now because now we're just like we don't really need it like mm-hmm. let's just keep going it's working yeah um and we're patient probably to a fault mm-hmm. um so we'll see we're working on things we're trying to make it more um accessible but uh, if i say that you know I'm going to have to listen to Where's the Cheap Version for the, next, for the next years, right? It's going to take a while. So nobody hold their breath, but we are aware of it. It's a goal. Yeah. It is a goal. But um, kids ask, you know, like, wow, do you have advice for young designers? Yeah. I was like, find the thing that only you can do. <laughs> that's right. That's what it is. Because then mm-hmm. you. You can protect it. You own it. it, yeah. You own it, you can protect it. Right. That's it. Don't try and do whatever else. You're at a disadvantage from go. Yeah. Right? You need to be like, no, this is my unfair advantage. Mm-hmm. And then you need to exploit it and use it. If yeah. you
0: were to have conceived of acronym this year and you're starting acronym today, how would you do it differently?
1: Oh my God. Um, I would probably take a year to figure it out
0: uh-huh. first. Yeah. That's the other thing. So Not just make that first kit yet. Like just...
1: No, I, I, I mean, even when we did it back then, it took us three years
0: to make that first to hit. figure yeah, it out. Yeah. Like,
1: so we're all about the long game, uh-huh. and it's always that's just that's just who we are. I yeah. Don't know. yeah. So, so I, maybe the same. It might be the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would probably be a direct to consumer thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's probably the only fundamental difference that I could pin down right now, and be like, the product might be almost identical. Mm, yeah maybe it yeah. it really depends on on the contacts I have and and the resources that I have at hand that's mm-hmm. but obviously just gonna try and take those and maximize them but yeah um that's a hard one to answer yeah. actually <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah cool man. Come back to me in a year okay. I okay tell you <laughs> all right.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to this incredible episode with the ever-inspiring Errolson Hugh of Acronym. As always, you can find out more about the show and listen to other episodes at hypebeast.com slash radio. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I personally use Anchor FM. Also, leave a comment and tell us what you think of the show. It definitely helps a lot. You can also reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Staple. And we occasionally answer listener questions on the show. So if you have a question, shoot it over to questions at businessofhype.com and we'll get those answered. The Business of Hype is created in collaboration with Bright Young Things. You can check them out at byt.nyc. Our director is Daniel Novetta. Our audio engineer is David Rogers-Berry. And our intern is Sydney Pukampura. I'm Jeff Staple, and you've been listening to The Business of Hype on Hype Radio.